that a lot of families go through, but are often not talked about. Here we will, because like we said, we're an open book. Yeah, there's been some difficult situations. Chris, tell them more. Well, in our relationship, we've dealt with marriage, divorce, remarriage to each other, addiction, sobriety, losing a business because of injury, and the ultimate sorrow of losing our son, Scott. Welcome to Episode 7, everyone. We are happy you could join us. So, honey, Bunch, how are you doing? I am good. I am. You know, we have had some new and exciting things going on since our last show. But first, we need to say happy birthday to you. So, happy birthday, Schnookum. Uh, yes, happy birthday to me. Thank you. Even though the years are piling up, I still enjoy my birthday and have always liked having a summer, summer birthday. What did you get me this year? Mm, the same thing I've been getting you for decades. You know that we don't exchange presents. I think the only time we did was our first couple of years together. Then it became apparent that gift giving is not our strength. It became too stressful worrying about what each other wanted, whether you liked the gift, and then pretending that we liked it when we really didn't. Remember our first Christmas as newlyweds? How can I forget? I still think it was a thoughtful gift. I'm sure you do. Why don't we see what our listeners think about this? Okay. One morning, a few weeks before Christmas, I woke up with this stiff neck and I said, I hate this pillow. It's so uncomfortable. A stiff neck. A light went off over my head. I said to myself, I know exactly what to get her for Christmas. So off I went to Kmart. Well, you had a little pep in your step. I was a man with a mission. So excited that I found the perfect gift. I actually brought two. (laughs) And for days, I looked forward to the look on your face on Christmas morning. Yeah, I was surprised, all right. I still don't understand how you could not love two brand new pillows. It's a thought that counts, right? And this is exactly why we don't exchange gifts anymore. You know, there is pressure in gift giving, I'll admit it. I wonder how many couples feel the same way, but never say anything to each other and continue giving each other gifts because that's what they're supposed to do. Many times those gifts end up in the closet for a couple of years before they make their way to goodwill. But as time went by, we realized that it's never about the gifts anyway. We'd rather just spend the day together. So on your birthday this year, we're going to go for a hike in the woods. That would be a great way to spend my day. Before, you said the years are piling up. How do you feel about getting older? Well, I am in my late 60s now. And when I think about it, if I'm lucky, I might have 20 years left. That's kind of a sobering thought. It sure is. 
So don't think about it. Just enjoy each day. It's out of our control anyway. And there are other issues that come up in everyday life that really need your attention. I have issues? <laughs> Surprise. Like what? Well, first, you forgetfulness. How am I forgetful? Well, you spend about 10 minutes every time you leave the house searching for your phone, keys, and wallet because you forget where you put them. I'm not the only absent-minded one around here. How many times do we drive to the corner, look at each other, and ask, did we close the garage door? Did we turn the oven off? Yeah, we did that like every time. So we came up with the solution. And here it is. Every time before we leave the house, we say out loud, oven off, garage door closed. <laughs> then we get down the street and ask each other, did we turn the faucet off? Hope the water's not running. I hope not. It's not easy getting old. There is something else new that we're since our we last got together. We have launched a Facebook page. It's also called, just like the show, We're an Open Book. It's a great way to interact with each other. And there's information there about our show as well as our book, Live, Laugh, Fly. Stop by and tell us what you think. Let's move on and talk about this week's episode. Before we forget. To remind everyone where we left off last time, we discussed how our lives during our separation, we were both began, began to grow stronger physically, mentally, and spiritually. I was building up my daycare business and taking care of Kim and Scott and our home. You were becoming more independent than you had ever been. Well, you were growing up too. Most importantly, I was finally ready to get sober. How was this time any different from the other times that you took a shot at sobriety? Boy, that's the million-dollar question. You are ready when you're ready. Like the slogan goes, I guess, I was finally sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, let's begin this reading. We're switching it up this time, keeping you on your toes. Gene will be reading his part first, and I'll read my part. Ready? I am ready. My life was getting better than it ever had been in a long time. I was sober and living a life that a year earlier I didn't think was possible for me. I had a group of friends, my job was going well, and I was making a financial contribution to my children back home. Chris was still bearing the burden of raising our kids, but at last I was helping. A year sober turned into 18 months. I was talking regularly with my kids and they even came for a visit, giving Chris a much-needed break. I took them all over town, and we had a great time. But when the week was done, they were ready to return home to their mom. It was at about this time when I realized I didn't want to hear about my kids' lives secondhand. I wanted to be there, to be part of it. I had been away from them for five-plus years. That's too long. I wanted to go home. I discussed moving home to New York with the folks I lived with, Jim and Judy as well as other trusted friends, and the consensus was unanimous. Though we all agreed, I knew leaving the place that I had gotten sober was going to be difficult for two reasons. First, I would be leaving my safety net, a group of people who understood, supported, and guided me. Second, and far scarier, I would be going back to the place where I had done the most damage. I would be facing my past and shortcomings head on. I had gone back the previous Christmas for a visit. My side of the family, sisters, aunts, nieces, and nephews, seemed fine, although they may have been a bit nervous. They welcomed me warmly. 
My kids were guarded, though, but Chris, to her credit, was cordial, although I am sure she was seething just beneath the surface. That was just a visit. What I was planning on now was permanent. I made the final decision at about two years sober, which was the summer of 1998. Then I made another trip at, back home for Christmas to find an apartment and flew back to California one last time to prepare for the move. This was really happening, and I had to admit it, I had fears. When I returned to California, I had about five weeks to prepare. I would be driving east in February. My job graciously offered me a work-from-home position, so finding a job wasn't an issue. I sold what I was not taking and shipped the rest. A very big goodbye party was thrown in my honor, and it seems there were 100 people there. I was leaving many people who had become a temporary family to me. They not only taught me how to grow up, but also demanded it of me. Both in my group and at my work, I had teachers who appeared just when I needed them. And on February 8th, 1999, I pointed my little green Nissan East and began my journey home. Yes, you did. I did indeed. Uh huh. Sure enough, Gene moved back. He got an apartment in Yonkers about 20 minutes from White Plains. We tried to establish a visitation schedule, but now that the kids were a little older, they had their own lives and friends. We let Kim and Scott decide if they wanted to spend the night with their dad. Some weekends it was a yes, while others it was a no. Jean had been seeing them regularly and attending their sporting events. The kids seemed fine and happy, but I was not. One day when the kids and I were driving around running errands, I asked them if they were mad at their dad for being away all those years. They both said no. I wanted to know why. It was very clear to them. He was the one who missed out on everything. They had a good life, but he wasn't there to see it. They were happy that he was back and that he was a part of their life now. I remember being stunned by their response, but they were absolutely right. It was his loss. And telling me that they had a good life, well, I'd happily take that. Boy, there have been so many defining moments in our family's yeah. life, and my moving back was definitely one of them. It definitely was. But why did you decide to move back to New York? I wanted to be closer to the kids. That's a simple answer. As I got sober, the important things in life became much clearer. And I didn't want to be that dad that only spoke to his kids weekly and saw them for a week at Christmas and a vacation time. Yeah, you wrote about your fears about moving back. Can you explain that? Well, the short answer is, I thought everyone in New York hated me. I knew that I had a lot of people, let a lot of people down, and the prospect of facing all of that was really scary. I can understand that. I, I, I don't know if I could have done that. Was there ever a time you thought, Maybe I'll just stay in California. No, in my heart of hearts, I knew what I had to do. What about you? What was your initial reaction? Yeah, I remember when you called and told me that you were moving back. You didn't sound very happy. I wasn't. I was afraid my whole life would be turned upside down again. I get it. The last time I was there, I was a train wreck. You had to be pretty nervous about all of that. Yeah, you were in California for over five years. And I had established stability in me and the kids' lives, and I was worried that that would be jeopardized. And I was still pretty angry with you. Did you consider asking me not to come back, not to disrupt your life? I, I knew I couldn't do that. That would not have been fair to you and the kids. 
And that was my heart of hearts moment. It wasn't just about me. You're Kim and Scott's dad. I just had to hope for the best. So I got back to New York on a cold and rainy February day. It was a sharp contrast to the sunny Southern California weather. I was alone and fearful of the days to come. If I ever had second thoughts, it was then. I was nervous when you actually moved back and I was a bit resentful. Shortly after you got back, Scott had a basketball game and I knew you would be there. And I was the one who was always at the games. And now I had to share those times and we had to figure out how to co-parent. I realized that I was walking into a situation that had been working well without me. So I had to impose boundaries on myself. If I didn't get to see the kids on a weekend or missed out on a certain activity, I would just need to accept it for now. That was the bet I made and I needed to sleep in it. Well, we thought it was important that the kids were able to decide to a point what their visitation schedule would look like. When you left, they were six and four, and now they're preteens. They had more going on in their lives, and we had to respect that. In hindsight, though, it worked out well. Yeah, they were the ones who helped me see the situation clear. They weren't upset or angry with you. They were just happy that you were back. So I needed to understand how is this. When they said that you missed out, that they had a good life, I knew I had to change my attitude. And this wasn't going to be easy, but I had to try. This was new territory for both of us. You were learning to co-parent, and I was learning to parent in the right way. And it wasn't just about going to their sporting events. Not at all. There were struggles in school, conflicts with friends, arguments over chores and homework, all types of real-life issues that until then I hadn't dealt with at all. Yeah, we had to learn how to be a united front. We couldn't let the kids take advantage of this new family dynamic. And kids will be kids. God knows they tried, especially under my watch. There was one evening in particular. They were at my place. The rule, your rule had always been no TV until all homework was done and checked. I know how this went. Tim finished her homework and was reading a book while she waited for Scott to finish his. Exactly. So Scott had, oh, six or seven pages of math he was working on. While he was doing it, I ran to the bathroom. That was your mistake right there. Yeah, I know. I was learning. When I came back from the bathroom, he told me, Dad, my homework's done. Somewhat confused, I asked to see it. It looked okay. So he, I said, okay, go ahead and turn the TV on. But while cleaning up that night after they went home, I found the unfinished portion of his homework under the couch. So the lesson here was... Always check under the couch after homework time. And never, ever leave the room. That's the more important tip. At this point, we were starting to co-parent with each other as parents. Yeah, and we're cooperating now, yep. although I'm still angry. But I'm keeping it under wraps. But it's still there. Kim and Scott seem to be adjusting better than me. After several months, I was beginning to settle in and getting more comfortable with parenting. But the tensions with Chris were still thick. Yeah, we had still had unresolved issues that needed to be addressed if we were going to move forward in a healthy way. Then came the Little League game where everything changed. Sure did. Let me set the scene. It was late spring and we were at Scott's Little League game. I was sitting in the bleachers on one side of the field and you were sitting on the other side. Scott was out on the field playing. And Kim would sit with me for 10 minutes, then run back and sit with her mom for 10 minutes. 
She ran back and forth doing this several times. Oh, I remember that. She was trying to keep us both happy. And I remember thinking, my poor baby, she feels stuck in the middle. This cannot go on. Something has to change, but I'm still angry. The game ended and we went our separate ways. Me back to my apartment, you to the house. house. And later that evening, you called me. I said, we have to talk. I don't want to feel this way anymore. You need to hear what I have to say. So we made a plan to get together the next night, alone for the first time since I moved back. I remember it was a beautiful spring evening and we drove to a park. And here we're gonna go back to the book for a short passage because it's best explained there. I think so too. We went to the Valhalla Dam close to my home and the dam inside of me exploded. I began shaking, crying, and screaming at him. I might have even slapped his arm. How could you do this to me? You were my best friend, and you just left me and our children. How could you choose a drug over your family? It was quiet for what seemed like a long time. Finally, he spoke. He never meant to hurt the kids or me. The first time he did crack, he was addicted. He knew that leaving was wrong, but he also knew that if he stayed, we would lose everything. He did all he could at the time and hoped that I would find the strength to handle our family on my own. He apologized many times and asked me for forgiveness. As I listened, a calm came over me. I was actually grateful for the experience of being a single mom. I realized that I never knew how much strength I had. Before I knew it, I found myself forgiving him. He was not expecting this reaction and honestly, neither was I. After our talk, we went to a diner for a bite to eat. As I sat there, all red-faced from crying, I realized that I could sit across from him without any feelings of contempt. The anger was gone, and it felt wonderful. I actually felt lighter, like a hundred pounds had been lifted off my back. Well, as her metaphorical dam broke, I understood that she needed this. And I did too. It was my responsibility at that moment to just sit there and listen, because everything she said was true. One of the most vivid recollections I have of that night was sitting across from you later on at the diner and noticing that the anger was gone. I remember you saying to me that even my face was softer. It would be foolish to say or think that our troubles were over at that point, but we were on our way. When I went home that night, I felt like a different person. I felt physically and emotionally lighter. The anger and resentment was gone, and I knew that somehow we would be okay. This family was going to be okay. So looking back 23 years later, that night was a giant leap towards putting our family back together. Although neither one of us could have known it at the time. Yep, so we learned a lot of lessons during this time. Life is constantly changing and evolving. We have to be flexible and willing to adjust. I think we both took a leap of faith, you moving back to New York from California and me trying to accept that change. Yes, we need to be willing to change, but it's still okay to be cautious. It's hard not letting the past get in the way of the future. And the most important thing we did was we put the children first. Putting them ahead of any resentments we had for each other made our job as parents so much easier. And the fact that we were able to put the kids first, we were able to begin to see the good in each other. 
We also learned that you cannot sweep the past under a rug and hope it disappears. So that night at the dam, we were able to express our feelings. Nothing was held back. We both took a look at our parts and owned them. Forgiveness and acceptance was crucial for us in moving forward. That night was the end of the past and the beginning of our future. It sure was. And that is the perfect place to call an end to this episode. So, Chris, one more time, remind everyone where we can go and get the book. That's right. Live, Laugh, Fly is available on Amazon. And 100% of proceeds will benefit children's cancer programs. So, please, if you have any thoughts or questions about anything we talked about, including pillows and gifts, please leave us a message in the comments section or go to our brand new Facebook page. We're an open book. That's W-E apostrophe R-E, an open book on Facebook. So it's time to say goodbye. That's right. And as always, we leave you with this last thought. Remember, love love never dies. dies. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. She is sure, she is sure, she is strong, she is